Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. So as I said, it's, it's Father's Day and if you've been around Bayside for any amount of time, you'll know that our staff here really enjoy dad jokes. And when I say really enjoy, what I really mean is that we tolerate them. You know, but being it's Father's Day, I, I thought I'd share just a few with you so that you could <clears throat> enjoy them with us as well. So here we go. Why did the orange stop halfway across the road? Anybody? It ran out of juice. <laughs> what do you call a can opener that doesn't work? A can't opener. A can't opener. I've got a pen that can write underwater. It can write other days, other words too, but underwater is my favorite. What days are the strongest? Saturday and Sunday. The best are, the rest are just weekdays. Last one, I promise. These are terrible. <laughs> last, no, hold on. This is the last one. What did the horse say after it fell? I've fallen and I can't get it up. <laughs> Today, it's Father's Day and many of us will be spending time either calling our dads or spending time with our dads. I did this first service too. <laughs> For those of us who've lost our fathers, we'll be spending time thinking about him and all the great memories we had with him. And yes, today many of us will be listening to these corny dad jokes, but I also think it's important for us to remember that not all families, not all sons and daughters have happy memories of their dad or of their families. This morning we're picking up where we left off last week in the story of Joseph and as we learned last week, he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. You know, looking back, I'm sure Joseph had a lot of bad memories as well as we'll see today. You know, we learned that Jacob, his father, had favorites. He had a favorite wife, Rachel, and he had a favorite son out of his 12, and that was Joseph. We saw that uh, Joseph brought a bad report at least once on his brothers to their dad, and, you know, he told on them, throwing them under the bus. The text told, tells us that Joseph, being shown this favoritism by Jacob, he received a coat of many colors from his dad. And Joseph, we, we saw how he had these specific dreams of how his brothers would one day bow down before him 
And Joseph, being one of the youngest and probably being a little bratty, he more than willingly shared these dreams with his brothers. And this just added more fuel to the fire of the hatred that his brothers had felt towards him. And in fact, the text last week closed by saying in verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him. Well, this jealousy, this hatred of Joseph rings out throughout our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. So Jacob and his family at this time were living in the valley of Hebron. It was a little over 20 miles south of Jerusalem and Jacob's sons were pasturing or grazing Jacob's flock near Shechem. That was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. Now this is around 1900 BC. You know, it was 1900 BC. There was no way Joseph could just send a text message to his brothers saying, hey guys, dad's wanting to know how his loser sons are doing. Love, the favorite one. There was no scrolling social media to look, you know, looking for selfies of one of his brothers and the sheep. You know, like, hey, <laughs> there was none of that. Jacob wondered how his flocks were doing. He was wondering how his sons were doing. And he may even have been worried about them. Back in Genesis 34, we have the story of how Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped by a man in Shechem. And long story short, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, ended up killing all of the men in the town and plundering it. So yeah, it could be that Jacob's was concerned about the safety of his sons. So he sent Joseph to check up on them. But remember, the last time that Joseph was sent to check up on them, it didn't end well. You know, he brought back all the dirt and gossip on his brothers that he could. You know, he may have even embellished the stories to make himself look and feel better. You know, it seems as though Jacob and Joseph both haven't learned their lessons yet. So Joseph is sent to Shechem, almost 50 miles away, verse 15, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? So once Joseph reached Shechem, he began to look around for his brothers. You see, Joseph was familiar with Shechem. Jacob and his family lived there after his reunion with Esau. You know, if you remember from Bible history, the whole Jacob and Esau story, Jacob and his mother tricked his father Isaac into believing that he was Esau. And Isaac ended up giving the blessing to Jacob, the blessing that was intended for Esau. So Jacob would spend many years in exile, many years basically hiding out from Esau, running for his life. But after 21 years, the brothers reconciled with one another. And it was at this point that the family moved to Shechem. So we see Joseph and his family. Joseph was a young boy, but his, he and his family had lived here for a time. He remembered, as he's walking around, he remembered hearing the stories of when the Lord had appeared to his great-grandfather Abraham here in Shechem. We read in verse, uh, Genesis 12, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land, this very land, 
that Joseph was walking was part of the land promised to Abraham. And even during this time, Joseph's family owned a parcel of land containing what we know as Jacob's well. You know, and this, honestly, this is probably why Jacob's sons took the flock to Shechem because they owned land with there that they could graze and they had a good source of water for the flock. But Joseph doesn't find his brothers in Shechem. You know, instead he's, he's wandering around, he's a bit confused. You know, he's probably thinking, dad did say they came to Shechem, right? Like, where are they? Like, they're just gone. So as Joseph is wandering aimlessly around the field, a man approached him and asked, what are you looking for? Are you okay? Verse 16, I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now I can imagine what this man is thinking. This kid's crazy. First, he stole someone's robe from somebody because there ain't no way a young kid will be wearing a robe like this. And he's just wandering aimlessly around the field. Or it could be that the man knows Joseph not because of the wandering, but because of the bright coat. And we learned from Pastor Ken last week that uh, this robe would be associated with nobility and authority and some form of high leadership. So either way, this robe made him stand out, and either way, this man helped Joseph along his way. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. He was already almost 50 miles from home, but he, being the obedient favorite son of Jacob, he decided to go the extra 15 or so miles to Dothan. And this is where we find our first observation in our text this morning. Joseph's obedience led him to an unexpected place. Joseph's obedience led him to an unexpected place. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. The brothers spot Joseph even before he reached them. You know, maybe they saw his bright coat that he was wearing up on the horizon coming towards them, but we see very quickly in the text that they were not happy to see him. You know, maybe Joseph was bringing the the needed replenishment of food and supplies that they really needed. But all his brothers could see was Joseph and that coat. So there in the distance, they see him coming and their jealousy and their anger flared. And before he even arrived, they were plotting to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. His brothers continue on, oh, here comes the dreamer. (laughs) Hey guys, do you think today's the day that we're gonna bow down before him and worship him? (laughs) See, the brothers remembered the dreams and that just made them all the more angry. The brothers allowed their their jealousy and anger to build up to the point of plotting a murder and a cover-up when they said, we'll kill him. And we'll say that an animal must have gotten to him. But when Reuben heard it, verse 21, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben, the oldest brother, finally steps up and says, 
hold on, wait a second. Let's not go crazy here. We don't have to kill him. Let's just throw him here into this dry pit, and then we'll just let nature take its course. But really, he was wanting to rescue him. You know, I'm sure Reuben wasn't happy with how his father had shown favoritism to Joseph. I mean, his father could have been a little more subtle. And Joseph, well, he didn't have to flaunt his coat of many colors all around creation and all the while bragging about how one day all of his family is going to bow down and worship him. He's crazy. So yeah, Reuben had a lot of reasons why he should be bitter and maybe even to an extent mad or angry with Joseph, but were they a murder and a cover-up? And maybe Reuben thought that by scaring Joseph in this way, letting him think that they were all going to leave him to die, that that would be enough. You know, after a few hours or maybe even a day or two, Joseph will have learned his lesson and then Reuben would come back and help him escape. You know, maybe that would be the trick to get Joseph off their backs. You know, maybe, maybe this would cause Joseph to bring back a good report to their dad once in a while. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. The brothers took Reuben's advice and decided not to kill him yet. When Joseph finally arrived, they took his robe of many colors and they threw him into a dry pit. Joseph's obedience led him to an unexpected place. You know, this reminds me of a story of a man whose obedience also led him to an unexpected place. It's about a Christian gentleman who was living in San Diego at the time. And as he tells the story, he says, one Friday night, I threw my guitar in the back of the car and headed out for some time alone with God. My destination was a quiet beach north of the city, but I never made it there. Instead, as I was northbound on a dark stretch of Interstate 5, I saw a solitary man beside the road waving a white rag. You know, immediately two thoughts crossed my mind. The first seemed clear and calm, and I was sure it was from the Lord. You need to stop for this man. I wasn't sure where my second thought came from, but it was plenty loud. You're crazy. It's probably some gang attack waiting to happen. Well, I quickly pulled over and the man appeared out of the bushes right in front of me, blood running down his face, waving at me and pointing to the shallow ravine off to the shoulder. He kept saying, you got to help my friend. You got to help my friend. And then before I could get anything else out of him, he passed out. That other voice in my head was screaming now. There's a gang out there. They got this guy. Now they're going to get you. I put the man in my car, grabbed a flashlight, and headed over the embankment. As I descended into the bushes, I started to hear screaming from the distance. As the screaming amplified, I prayed and marched off into the bushes to locate the distress. There in the dry creek bed was a large pickup truck that had obviously rolled over. A young man was writhing in pain on the ground with one ankle pinned under the truck. He was desperate for any help that he could find. As he gasped and gritted his teeth, I put a hand on his shoulder and said, you're going to be all right. I'm a Christian. I will pray and God will give me the strength to get this truck off of you. You know, I don't, care. I don't think he cared who I was as long as I freed him. And he was more than willing to pray with me. After praying, I gave that truck the biggest push I've ever given in my life, but it didn't move an inch, not even a tenth of an inch. 
I tried a few more times, meeting the same level of success each time. I went back to the road to find more help. I, I stood by the side of the road, waving a white towel at the oncoming traffic. Although I couldn't see it through their windshields, I sensed what they were thinking. There's no way I'm going to stop and help. It's probably some gang attack waiting to happen. Finally, after what seemed like forever, that quiet, calm voice spoke to me, and, to me again and pointed out what was right in front of my eyes the entire time, the emergency call box. I made one quick call, and in minutes, a team of firefighters was there bringing the rescue that God had intended. So like the man who was looking for a quiet, worshipful evening alone with God, Joseph's obedience led him to an unexpected place. His brothers weren't where they were supposed to be. But Joseph, being obedient to his dad, he searched and he finally found them. And not only that, when he did find them, his brothers ripped his coat off of him and threw him into a pit. He was as good as dead. The following actions of Joseph's brothers lead us to the second observation of our text this morning. The brothers' schemes led him to an unexpected house. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw the caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then, Joseph, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. So having thrown Joseph into a pit, basically to die, they sit down to eat their lunch. They're probably eating the very food that they, he had just brought them. And then from the northeast, they can see a caravan approaching them. It looks like traders who are heading down to Egypt. And that's when Judah gets a clever idea. Hey, Let's not kill Joseph because, you know, that will make us murderers. We'll have blood on our hands. And where's the profit in that? Let's make some money off of this. Let's sell him as a slave to those Ishmaelites. You know, maybe we can even make a little restitution off of him. But the important thing is that we'll be rid of him. We'll never have to see him again. We, we won't have to hear any more about his crazy dreams and about us bowing down before him. And to top it all off, we won't have to hear dad go on and on and on of how great Joseph is. And the text says that the brothers listened to Judah. They were satisfied with Judah's suggestion because they really just wanted to get rid of him and they didn't care how. Verse 28, then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, out of the, out, up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So as the traders were passing by, Joseph's brothers pulled him up out of the pit. They sold him to Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, which was the, the average cost of a slave at that time. Now remember, Joseph is 17 years old. And his brothers have basically just kidnapped him and sold him into slavery. But the story doesn't stop there. The text says that Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites. These traders are likely the children and grandchildren, maybe even the great-grandchildren of Ishmael. Do you remember who Ishmael was? Yeah. Ishmael was the son of, Hag of Abraham by Hagar. 
So do you think there's any love lost between the Ishmaelites and these grandsons of Isaac, the son of promise? They hated each other. You know, we all know how much tension there is today in the Middle East. Can you imagine it being only two, maybe three generations old? So the sons of Ishmael have a slave, a grandson of Isaac with them. And the text says that they took him down to Egypt. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? So we can see clearly from the text that Reuben had no part in the plan to sell Joseph. When he returned to the pit, he expected him to be there and he was gonna rescue him. But to his surprise, Joseph is gone. Reuben rips his clothes in despair and runs back to his brothers and said, he's gone, Joseph is gone. What am I going to do? There's no doubt that Reuben, being the oldest, took some sort of responsibility for the safety of his younger brother. He had planned to rescue Joseph, but now Joseph was nowhere to be found. We don't know if they eventually told Reuben what they had done with Joseph, but what we do see is that they went back to their original idea of deceiving their father. Verse 31, then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So Jacob's sons quickly iron out all the details of this fabricated plan. They killed a goat and they dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They took it to their father and asked him if they recognized it. You know, they all had acted as though they had never seen Joseph. And on top of that, they knew what his robe looked like. That robe was the symbol of so much of their hatred towards him. They knew. Does this matter of deceiving a father with a goat sound familiar to anybody? Jacob himself, along with his mother Rebecca, took the skin of a goat, put it on Jacob's hands and arms in order to deceive his aging father, Isaac. Like father, like son. But Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And as we can already tell from the beginning of the chapter, Jacob had done some bad sowing with his family. He used deception with his father. Now that he is a father, he is the one being deceived. You know, I can imagine Jacob taking that bloody robe in his hands, bowing his head down and saying, this is Joseph's robe. An animal's gotten him. He's dead. He's been killed. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Jacob had come to the conclusion that the brothers had intended him and he mourned the loss of his son. And the brothers, they allowed their dad to believe that their brother was dead. Not one of them would stand up to their dad and tell him the truth. But instead they let him mourn. It says in verse 35, all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. 
You know, back in Genesis 35, we read that Jacob had lost his favorite wife, Rachel, and now he's just lost his favorite son. His sons and daughters gather around him. They rally around him trying to comfort him, but he refused their comfort. He said, I'm going to go to my grave mourning my son. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So Joseph, having arrived in Egypt as basically a prisoner or a slave of the Midianites, he gets sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was the, the captain of Pharaoh's guards, a very high-ranking military official, and we'll be learning more about him next week. So after all that Joseph has just been through, he now finds himself as a slave in a strange land, a slave in an unexpected house. It seems as though things couldn't get any worse. He's in a really low spot. You know, in just such a short time, Joseph goes from being a spoiled 17-year-old son wearing expensive robes to now being a slave in Egypt. His family hated him. His, brother wanted, his brothers all wanted to kill him. Joseph's obedience led him to an unexpected place. The brothers' schemes led him to an unexpected house. It's during these times of unexpected experiences, these times of evil scheming, that we, we all need to remember that God is at work. How many times have you felt by God that he wants you to do something with your life, that maybe he wants you to move somewhere or maybe change careers or you know, move away from your, the comfort of your family and your friends only to be reminded that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Sometimes our obedience leads us to unexpected places but please remember that our obedience positions us to trust God. Our obedience positions us to trust God. Right now, maybe you're not where you thought you'd be 10 years ago. Just like Joseph, your destination has changed. Maybe your life hasn't led you to Shechem, maybe it's led you to Dothan instead. Your vision of a prestigious career, an elegant home, and 3.2 kids just isn't happening. But be obedient to his leading and trust him because he is still working. You know, as a church, we're not where we thought we would be 10 or even five years ago. You know, if you were to look at our vision document from eight or nine years ago, we had some, we had some BHAGs in it. We had some big, hairy, audacious goals. And look at just the past two years. I mean, who in their right mind would have thought it was a good idea to plant a church in the middle of a pandemic? God did. If Pastor Nick and the leadership of Bayside weren't obedient, if we didn't trust God, Proving Ground Church would not be the thriving church that it is today in Lakehurst. A church that has quickly become an accepted and loved part of that community. God is good. Yes, he is. Amen. And he is still working. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And planning that second church is just one thing, one example of how God, how we have trusted God in the past few years. There are many. But maybe right now you're in a pit. 
You feel like the world is against you and you feel that everything is caving in around you. You feel like you're living a bad country song. Your, your wife has left you, your truck broke down, and your dog got run over by a flock of goats. You're deep down in a pit. You're clawing at the sides, trying to climb your way out, but you keep slipping back deeper, deeper down the hole. But obedience to God doesn't mean that life will be all sunshine and roses. Our obedience to God positions us to trust him. Our obedience positions us to trust God. But we're also encouraged through scripture with the fact that the world's schemes positions us to be used by God. You know, Joseph's brothers didn't know it at the time, but their schemes, their evil plans to harm him and to deceive Jacob, those very schemes would eventually lead to the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams. Although everything seemed to go wrong for Joseph, each turn, each pit that he landed in, every crazy situation was a step bringing to fruition God's purpose in his life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. The text says all things, not some, but all things work together for his good. Church, we can have confidence in that promise. The text we just read also shares with us another benefit that we have today as believers. Did you catch it? Look back at verse 26. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is something that Joseph didn't have. This is something that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, none of these great men of the faith had the Holy Spirit to comfort them and to guide them. We do. So when the world is scheming against us, when we are so far down that pit, that we don't even know what to say. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
The Spirit gives us the strength and confidence that we need to know that it's going to be okay. It will all be worked together for his good because God is still working. We have all these tools at our disposal as we live out our lives. You know, it goes back to what we just learned about in our series in Galatians. It's the freedom that we have in Christ. It's us allowing God to work in us and through us. You know, sometimes the world's evil schemes, they place us exactly where God wants us. Let me say that again. Sometimes the world's evil schemes place us exactly where God wants us. I think we all agree that with these mass shootings, the economy, inflation, supply chain issues, everything's gotten crazy. But remember that it's in these times that God has positioned us. Let's be light in the darkness. Let God use you because God is working. The world's schemes positions us to be used by God. As believers, no matter where we're at in life, God is working. You know, if everything is going great for you and you're living the life that you had expected and hoped, then praise God, God is working in these moments. But if you're finding yourself today in pit after pit after pit, take comfort because God is still working. So there's one single thing in this episode of Joseph's life teaches us, it's this. We can trust God to work even in our most unexpected moments. We can trust God to work even in our most unexpected moments. You know, maybe this morning you're not feeling it. You're, you don't think God is working while you're going through this trial. Just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that God's not working. Joseph didn't see it, but was God working? Yes. Absolutely. Just because you don't feel it, it doesn't mean that he's not there. Isaiah 43.1 says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, though they, not, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. We can trust God to work even in our most unexpected moments. Will you stand as we pray? Father God, we thank you for the fact that no matter where we're at in life, whether we're high up on a mountaintop or if we're deep down in a pit, you are there working for our good. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit who comforts and guides us. Lord, we thank you for your son who made the way for us to become your children. Help us to be obedient to your leading, even when it doesn't make any sense to us. Help us to trust you 
And when the schemes of the devil, the, the schemes of this world distract us, help us to realize that we were placed in these crazy times for such a time as this, that you desire to use us. You desire to work in us and through us. Help us to always remember that we can trust you to work even in our most unexpected moments, God. Father, we love you. We worship you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.